burnout is probably a term that you have heard now at some point in your doctor career, but you may not know exactly what it means or how to tell if you're experiencing it. This week, I'm talking with Dr. Jessica Louie to help figure out some of the signs that you may be experiencing burnout and let you know how to help manage them. Dr. Jessica Louie is the founder of Clarify Simplify Align and the Burnout Doctor podcast, where she helps burned out pharmacists and healthcare professionals get out of overwhelm and live with less clutter and more energy. She's also certified in the KonMari method and practices as an associate professor and critical care pharmacist by day. I learned a lot of really great things from her, and I know you guys will too. Welcome to the White Coat Academy podcast, your source for all things personal and professional development as a new healthcare provider. Join me, Dr. Emily Funk Reynolds, as we navigate the challenges young doctors face in treating patients today and work to better ourselves beyond our clinical care. Hey everyone, here on the podcast today with another awesome guest for you guys, Dr. Jessica Louie. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Emily. Yeah, it's great. I think we have a lot of really exciting things to talk about um, that will really help our listeners. So you're kind of, you know, the expert on burnout. Um, and I feel like that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but people don't really flesh out exactly what it means. So in your opinion, what exactly is burnout? So burnout to me is a syndrome that's classified by three classic signs. Uh, So you might be seeing exhaustion, and usually that starts with physical exhaustion and then can also lead to emotional and mental exhaustion. Cynicism, which is negative viewpoints, and decreased self-efficacy, which is a low sense of accomplishment. So you know, my personally, I went through burnout back in 2014, 2015, at the end of my two-year critical care residency in pharmacy and my first career in academia. So um, I didn't actually know it was burnout at the time. You know, people weren't really talking about it five years ago. It's much more of a prevalent topic today. Uh, but I was experiencing exhaustion where I was basically constantly bringing work home with me and just physically exhausted myself, um, uh, mentally exhausted myself with the hours I was putting in. Uh, I was experiencing cynicism with a negative viewpoint, um, basically by the way hospital pharmacists were practicing in my area in Los Angeles. I had trained uh, in Los Angeles at USC for pharmacy school, but I had completed my residency at University of Utah, which has a very progressive program. So when I came back, I had this cynicism towards, you know, why aren't we practicing at the top of our licenses in the areas I was working in? And then I had decreased self-efficacy and this low sense of accomplishment because I'd poured in many years and many hours of research, um, both with prospective and retrospective research studies, and it just wasn't going anywhere. They weren't getting published. A lot of the information was not getting out into the public scene um, to help other clinicians. So it was just a really low sense of accomplishment that took three or four years for most of my research to get to that publication standpoint after it had completed. So uh, that's a little bit about how I view burnout. So I think one of the important distinctions is that burnout is different than just, you know, routine stress. So what are some of the differences between stress and burnout and how can you tell, you know, which one you're going through? 
I think that's a great question. I think that I didn't realize there was a difference at first either. Um, and nowadays we won't necessarily interchange the two words. I view stress as really, um, it's really more a predictable biochemical, physical, physiological change, um, whereas burnout is a result of prolonged exposure to stress. So the longer that you experience this chronic stress, the more likely you're going to develop into burnout. Um, and basically, I want to remind all of the listeners that, you know, burnout uh, is not something that happens because you're low performing or busy by any means, you know, high, very high performing people burn out. It's because we're very ambitious and, you know, we put this kind of on ourselves and we need to reset that burnout. So um, please remember that. And then also think about, you know, when we're transitioning from stress into burnout, we start experiencing a few different things. Instead of seeing like the hyperactivity, um, we start to withdraw during burnout. Um, so I have this table um, that I can share in the show notes with you um, to really see the two differences between stress and burnout, because I think it's visually a little bit easier to understand the difference then. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I think, you know, in the past, you had mentioned one of the big things with burnout is apathy. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I think that it's um, more likely where clinicians and you know healthcare professionals start to experience apathy either towards their work environment, their coworkers, or towards their patients. And I think this is part of the decreased self-efficacy um, where you don't really see all the time that you're putting in to your work environment really um, being worthwhile um, because you're not seeing a, you know those wins necessarily right away or in a more of a tangible way. Um, so when we think about you know apathy or um, basically you know withdrawing from ourselves, it's really a good time where if you have an accountability partner or if you have team members that are looking out for this or a manager that's looking out for this, they can really point it out to you because you may not realize it, right? Because sometimes our day goes by with a blur and we don't really understand, you know, how we felt or, you know, how do we reacted to different situations. Uh, so I think that, you know, having someone that can help um, point it out or be, you know, someone that sees your stress levels or sees that you're transitioning to burnout is really helpful um, to realize that. And, you know, remember that burnout is not something that we just, you know, autocorrect overnight. It's definitely a process. It's a journey. Um, so uh, just realizing and acknowledging is the first step. So kind of taking a moment to reflect, which, you know, we're often guilty of not doing, and then kind of having someone who can keep you accountable to, make sure that you're staying in touch with yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I know you touched a little bit on, you know, your kind of personal experience with burnout and where you were in your life at that time, but how did that lead you kind of to where you are today? So that, and that's a great question in terms of, I would say everyone's burnout story is a little bit different. Um, mine started back, you know, in residency in this high training environment where I was putting in about 68 hours a week and then tr transitioning into an academic setting, uh, taking on a lot of responsibilities and not really getting out of that resident uh, mindset. Um, and, you know, 
during that time, I started doing different things to try to cope with that stress and burnout. And a lot of that coping mechanism was shopping. Uh, so I shopped a lot for clothing, for home decor, things like that. And then a life event happened in my family. Um, one of my family members uh, ended up passing away very suddenly from aggressive cancer. And that really opened up the light bulb of you know, life is short, you know, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? And is it a legacy where you just look back and you worked a lot and you didn't focus on your personal life or your family life? So that was kind of the reset button back in 2015. And in my opinion, what helped save me from my burnout and helped me reset it was decluttering my life. And I found the KonMari method, uh, popularized by Marie Kondo uh, in her books, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up found those books, started reading them in 2015, applied the method where you declutter your physical space in your home, and then ended up, you know, really getting into it. And after I did my home, I did my work office environment, and then started decluttering mental, emotional, spiritual clutter, like your schedule, like your finances and your community and relationships. And through that process over the last four or five years, you know, I started you know, my family members started seeing me do this, fam friends started seeing me do this, and I started helping them. Uh, eventually, that led into me getting officially certified in the KonMari method with Marie Kondo a couple of years ago. And there's about 175 of us certified in the United States right now. So um, I have, you know, turned, you know, my journey and my experience into helping other people who are going through this, both in a physical decluttering environment and more of a mental emotional type of environment. I think that's awesome that you were able to kind of find, you know, your avenue to really almost pull yourself out of a darker place. Um, I know for you, it was de decluttering, but how exactly is clutter related to burnout? So I think that clutter is, is so intertwined with our burnout and we don't really realize it. Um, you know, there has been other research studies on this that we can definitely link as well. But two of the popular ones are from UCLA and from Harvard, where basically they either followed women or couples throughout several years of their lives and saw how their physical environments affected their day to day life and their feelings towards life in general. And in general, when we have all this physical clutter around us, it is one, something that distracts us. You know, we see it, you know, just sitting at our desk, we might be seeing it with papers or books around. Um, if we're just sitting in our homes, we see things in the sink or in the kitchen. Uh, and it just distracts us from what is really important in that moment of what we want to focus on. So those distractions um, play a key role in then your mental clutter and your exhaustion of having to clean up all the time, basically. Um, and then they also play a role in, we just have to process too many things, right? Because anything that we look at visually is something that our brain has to process. And if we are constantly bombarded by all these visual cues, it just takes up more mental energy. That's what leads to our decision fatigue environment. And that's just part of mental clutter as well. So, um, I definitely see it playing a role, uh, and I classify clutter into four different categories um, as well so that you can go through those four categories and see how they're making you feel and how they might be playing a role. Because if we're not joyful at work, or if we're not joyful at home, those two relate to one another, even if we think we have a good separate boundary in our lives. Yeah, I think the real important thing there is that 
when you know you are thinking about clutter you're not just thinking about physical possessions um it's you know the mental clutter and even just like having a bunch of thoughts on your to-do lists like swirling around in your head can really contribute to that so by setting up you know systems that can help you kind of deal with that um you eliminate that decision fatigue like you were mentioning so you know what can you do kind of in the short term if you realize that you're in a space where you are experiencing burnout? So in terms of, you know, when you think that you might be experiencing burnout, first realize that you're not alone. Uh, I think that I felt really alone at that time. I didn't know who to talk to and I thought I'd be judged for it. So please realize that you're not alone. A lot of people are going through this, even though they may not be opening up and talking about it. And then you know, that's kind of the acknowledgement stage. And then also realize that it's not this problem that you just need to check a box and solve, right? Uh, working in healthcare, we might think, okay, like just give me the medicine, give me the pill to fix this. It's not like that. I think that, you know, burnout and well-being are really processes where you want to reset them and build up strategies of how to prevent it in the future. And I use the fitness example um, to illustrate this of, you know, a lot of us um, like, to move our bodies and stay fit, of course. Um, and, you know, different exercises are different ways of, different ways we help with our fitness, help build up muscles and help build up strategies to build that muscle or that cardio um, energy. And it's the same thing with burnout and well-being in terms of you have to continually build up our muscles towards different burnout prevention strategies, uh, just like we build up muscles for fitness. So um, the acknowledgement stage and realizing, um, you know, it's not just a problem that's going to be solved overnight. It took me several months uh, to reset it and to get back on track with how I wanted to live my life. And, you know, the other first step to take, I think, would be just to sit down. You could set aside 30 minutes or so and get a pen and paper out and get back to, you know, who are you as a person? I call this the clarify step of my clarify, simplify, align process where, you know, I had not written down, like, who am I as a person? What are my core values? You know, of course, a lot of us growing up had some values that we were instilled with, but we may not have written them down necessarily or had, like, a family motto that we live by. So actually getting back to this, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s and doing this is so important to you as a person, I think. And then taking a moment to remind yourself that you're not defined by your profession you're not defined by your career, or your title. Um, you're defined by you as a human being, you as a person. So I think that uh, just clarifying some of that is really helpful as you first start uh, resetting that burnout. Yeah, and I think that those are things that can change, you know, throughout your life, depending on where you are, what you know your goals are, what stage you might be in. So it's kind of like a continuous process that you need to check back in with yourself and make sure that, you know, you're still on track with living life in a way that's going to be beneficial for you. I think for a lot of us healthcare professionals, we're kind of like that go, go, go attitude. And that can lead us into, you know, tricky situations. So how do you kind of stay on top of that and make sure that you're continually checking in? That's a great question. I think it definitely is a continual process. So um, 
I think that's where you play into, um, so after you simplify your environment, you know, physically and emotionally, mentally, uh, my last step is aligning and you're aligning your work into your life and not the other way around. So I think that is just a mindset shift of work is not your entire life. So align your work into your life. Um, so, um, put down what's most important to you in other aspects of your life first. So how I do this is um, I do a daily joy check and a weekly joy check. Um, my weekly joy check and basically looks at 10 different areas in my life. And this is a free download as well. But basically, it'll go through, I'll write down, you know, how do I feel in each area of my life? So that's health, that's finances, family, friends, um, learning, spiritual, things like that. And I'll write myself of how I felt the past week and then write down if, you know, there's a couple areas that scored lower, um, like on a scale of one to five, I'll go back and pick out one or two areas to set a goal in for the upcoming week. So that means that say I didn't feel very good with my health and my fitness for the past week. I'll set a goal in that area where I will usually schedule uh, a, a fitness class into my calendar and that could be even a virtual fitness class so once it's on my calendar I know it's going to get done because I don't like to break those appointments once they're on my calendar um, or if it's um, friends and um, community if I forgot to return a text message I'll like put that into my phone where I need to call someone or I need to set up a coffee date with them or a virtual uh, meeting with them so different ways that you check in, you know, weekly, and then I do the same similar process where I check in daily, but this is more about um, setting up my three daily goals, daily mantras, uh, daily affirmations, so that you're continually doing this and it becomes where you're just taking that extra five minutes in the morning or once a week to do that process. And five minutes is a really short amount of time in comparison to all the minutes you live. Yeah. So uh, just putting that into your habits so that you're not just jumping right into your first task of the day or the first task of that week. So I think that um, helps with a continual process of looking at your life as a whole uh, instead of just focusing on, you know, your job or something else that might be going on. And do you find a difference in physically writing things out versus just, you know, setting aside time to think about it because I know some people you know they set aside like meditation time or you know every day I have my cup of coffee in the morning and it's just my time by myself and I feel like people are much more willing to do that because it, it there's less of a barrier than there is to physically you know writing things out. I definitely think that it's much more helpful to do the old school pen and paper. Uh, I definitely didn't, I had gone away from that, you know, when I was experiencing burnout, I was very digital in the digital world. But I think that, um, you know, I would do whatever works best for you, of course, that, you mm -hmm. know, it's not black and white. Um, but the digital clutter that accumulates is, is so high. And I think that, um, when you write something down, it has a lot more meaning. And, you know, the studies show for students that it, it helps them remember things and remember concepts in greater detail. So I always recommend trying to do the pen and paper. Um, I mean, you can try the the iPad and the Apple pen and all that stuff too. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I, 
I first created a, a quarterly planner to help my clients and students through this process. And it was a little bit overwhelming and a little bit of a barrier to get started. So now I've simplified it down into notepads. So these notepads, you know, you should just start off with writing down the first day and then you can rip that page off and you can either keep it if you want or you can just start fresh the next day. So it's not... Um, it's just something that can stay on your desk and you can get started right away with that daily or that weekly joy check. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely value in physically writing things down. And like you've said, you know, studies have shown that. But I think that sometimes people feel a little, I don't know what the word is, but proud maybe to like take that step and, you know, like actually have a piece of paper or something like that that has these things written out because they feel like, I don't know, not stupid, but a little like ashamed of that maybe. So what would you say to people that feel that way? I would say to just try it. And I would say, give it a week to see how you feel. Because I think that we're so afraid of what could happen, but we don't actually know what will happen because we never actually try it. Uh, So, you know, I was really skeptical in the past about planners and different techniques of uh, writing out your week and everything. Um, But once I just started the method and committed to at least a week of it, ideally, you would try it for a month or two, just to see how much it changes how you feel day to day Um, is, you know, make that commitment. Um, And if you don't like it, you know, it it just, you know, paper that you can then go on discard. Um, And then also realizing that you're in control of it. So if you're afraid of writing down things that other people will find, you know, of course, have some security behind it uh, so that whatever you're writing down into your journal or your notepad is something that other people won't be seeing so that you can keep it confidential to yourself and the feelings that you're writing down. Um, And you can start off putting a timer, you know, on your phone to just do two minutes. And then you can maybe increase that to five minutes. So just write down whatever comes to mind in those first two minutes. And if it's just one word, okay, that's just one word and you can go from there. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I mean, you have nothing to lose. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But there's a chance that it might. Um, The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is multitasking. Now, I know that you're not a huge fan of this. um, So why is that? So I don't really believe in the concept of multitasking. I think that a lot of people say that because they're really proud that they're multitaskers and I think they're doing a really good job. I think that realizing that, you know, multitasking is really something that's really not sustainable in our life is important. It's really about how do you focus on different things uh, going on in your life. So yes, in my opinion, you can do two different things at once. Um, And I use the example a lot of times about driving and listening to podcasts or washing your dishes and, you know, watching a TV show and things Um, like you're doing two things at once, but you're really not focusing on both things. And that's why when I'm listening to audiobook or podcast in the car, inevitably there'll be a time where I have to pause and be like, I need to rewind, you know, a half minute or a minute because I just <laughs> yes. didn't get that. I was like focusing on not hitting the car or merging into a new lane and all that stuff. So we're not focusing on two things at the same time and realizing that you want to transition from multi-focusing into solo focusing, I think can be really helpful in people's lives. So I 
I'm a big advocate for instead of multitasking to transitioning to solo focusing on one thing at a time. So, you know, you definitely can continue to do those things where you're washing the dishes or, you know, and I continue to listen to podcasts in the car. But I realize that it's very passive. It's not an active engagement of that. So if I really want to actively engage in that book and take notes on it and write down things I want to take away from that book, I need to actually just focus on that, um, get back to pen and paper or my computer later uh, and write those things down. So I'm only focusing on that one task versus also driving at the same time. Um, And the same thing when we're doing other things in our life where maybe we're checking emails uh, or checking text messages, I think that you t- it's really important that you solo focus, meaning that you kind of time block out when you do that. So I have settings on my phone where I don't get text messages. Um, they don't make noises and other things on my phone. I don't get emails on my phone. So then I set aside that 15 minutes where I only look at emails and respond to them on my, my computer or only respond to certain social media messages on my computer because really the only social media app that needs to be on the phone is Instagram, in my opinion. (laughs) All all the other ones are really computer-based. So then that helps you just solo focus. And instead of like scrolling and multitasking while you scroll and all those things, I mean, there's obviously a lot of studies out there about, you know, the downfalls of multitasking. Um, But I think that just realizing that you could solo focus and what could be the benefits if you transition to that and try it out for a week um, and then to see how you feel. And then maybe you might change your language of saying um, if you're good at multitasking or not. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of use multitasking because they feel like they have to in order to check off all the things on their to-do list. Um, So, you know, you have a lot of things going on. You have multiple businesses, you're teaching. So how do you kind of, you know, quote, get it all done when you have a long to-do list? So I definitely, I definitely see that a lot. And I would say that I used to be there. I used to have, you know, these long to-do lists and all these things I wanted to accomplish. I have since transitioned into letting go of to-do lists. Um, I don't have those anymore. Um, And I think that that could be one way that you could try to transition away from it in terms of, you know, my clients now have daily goals. So basically we work on reverse engineering your life goals back into your yearly goals, back into your quarterly goals, monthly goals, et cetera, down to your daily goals. And, and that's how we basically, instead of having, okay, I have to get these 20 things done. It's more about, okay, I have these life goals and now I've broken them down into my weekly and daily goals. And there are only three goals maximum on those lists. So the three big things you have to get done. And usually this means that we get one or two of those goals done before we do anything else that day. So if it's a big, big project that we've broken down into baby steps, we will get that first part of that project goal done for the day before we check emails, before we answer phone calls, things like that. So if, especially if you are more productive in the morning, that's the system I help set up um, for students and for clients. So basically um, we're removing that to-do list. And also a lot of things on our to-do list are things that we can make into a weekly routine. So many of us probably have things like grocery shopping or laundry, um, things like that on our to-do list or picking up the dry cleaning things. We can make that into a weekly routine where 
Um, basically we're time blocking out our schedules and I highly recommend that you're doing the same things on the same day at the same location if possible, um, all the time. So I grocery shop on the same day, go to the same store. I basically buy the same things. Like I have very also simplified our meal planning and, um, I call it food prepping, not meal planning. Um, so you can make it as simple as possible. So then there's those things aren't on your to-do list because they're always on a, the same day or the same time frame in general. And you know where you're going, like you always use the same gas station or the same bank and other things like that. So you're just simplifying everything into your life of what works best for you. So like a lot of those things do come off your to-do list and then you're just looking at your big goals. Um, and remember your, your goals don't have to only be work related. They can of course be related to any of those 10 domains in your life. Um, so we still have goals around fitness or around other things as well. So, um, you customize it to what you want to do then. Right. And they, they probably should have goals, you know, outside of work to kind of keep yourself (laughs) some sane. So it's really the combination of kind of prioritizing the things that are most important by, you know, narrowing it down to those three daily goals and then kind of taking the decision out of the more menial stuff um, by incorporating it into your routine. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely. That's basically you're taking out a lot of that mental clutter of remembering to do things because you just have it on this routinely schedule. Yeah, I think that's a really great idea and something that honestly I didn't think about. Like I kind of innately do that, but I still put, you know, like do grocery shopping on my list. So that's really helpful. I think you've given everyone a lot of really great things to think about as well as really interesting perspective on how you can kind of mitigate stress and set systems in place for your life to set yourself up for success. So I really appreciate that. Um, If people are looking to find you or hear more about what you do, where can they go? Thank you again for having me, Emily. And uh, the best place to find me is to is on my website, drjessicalouis.com. And you can go over and listen to the Burnout Doctor podcast where we have free resources on burnout and well-being and decluttering. And then I recently started the new initiative of Spark Join Healthcare to really bring joy back into the healthcare environment. So I'd love if you would check that out. Uh, we're doing a lot of donations and fundraising right now to give back to our healthcare professionals. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, so I hope you got some helpful advice from today's episode. And I think one of the most important things is to realize that if you are experiencing burnout, you definitely aren't alone and that we need to kind of look out for each other and be cognizant of the other people in our environment who may be showing signs of burnout with apathy and kind of being disconnected from their work. If you want more from Dr. Louie, I will link her information in the show notes. Also, she is working really hard right now to help send care packages to the frontline workers amid the COVID-19 crisis. So if you'd like to help out with that, go to her Spark Joy in Healthcare page on Instagram. If you're loving the podcast and getting valuable information from it, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review and share it with your friends so that we can connect with more young healthcare professionals. If you're interested in getting more daily updates, from me, you can follow us on Instagram at the White Coat Academy. Hope you all are continuing to stay well during this time, and I'll catch you guys in the next one.